Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. He's Alex Wolf, the New York Knicks, back in the win column after four straight losses, a 116 to 103 victory over the Houston Rockets. A lot of storylines to come out of this one, Alex. What are we going to go over? We're going to talk about how the deuce is loose. Deuce McBride goes for career highs in pretty much everything. Emmanuel quickly is back in the saddle again, hitting three pointers left and right. Mitchell Robinson had a Really good fourth quarter. We'll talk about maybe why the other three weren't quite as good and why he needs to correct some of that. And we're going to talk a little bit about the starters, how they are continuing to be woeful, uh, even though on paper some of the guys had pretty good nights in this game. And uh, that's pretty much it. We got a good amount of stuff to talk to talk about, though, in this episode about this Knicks-Rockets game. Coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. And thank you so much for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. Thankfully, if you get Truebill, your Locked On Knicks subscription will not be canceled because we are free and we are available on all platforms, including on YouTube. He is Alex Wolf. I'm switching it up today. Uh, Editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. And the New York Knicks are back in the win column, a 116-103 to victory over the Houston Rockets. And Alex, we were talking about a pre-show. Not all rainbows and sunshines for you coming out of this game, but I want to start on a definitive positive, and that is the backcourt of the future. Emmanuel Quickly and Miles McBride, a dominant night for each of them. Quickly, a season-high 24 points, 7 of 10 from distance, including five threes in the fourth quarter, raining fire on the Houston Rockets, ending any intent they had of completing their comeback and winning this game. And Miles McBride, Functionally perfect, right? 15 points, nine assists, four steals, no turnovers, about all you could ask for out of a rookie guard. And both of those two fueling this Knicks victory. Yeah, nine to zero assist to turnover ratio. That's good, right? That's not bad. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Alfred it's, it's, Payton ha- maybe had one of those games in high school. Not since then. <laughs> Same with Julius Randle, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the symbiosis that these two showed was just amazing. I mean, You know, it's funny. You say backcourt of the future. One of the things, you know, when you said that not everything is sunshine and rainbows after this game for me, one of the things that I came out of this game thinking was like, and I think I'm writing the Strickland recap of this game too, so I'm probably going to reuse this this like analogy, but it was sort of like waking up from a good dream once this game was over. Like you wake up and you're just like, oh man, I had this great dream. Miles McBride went out there. And, you know, he got given tons of minutes and like he made the most of it and he had almost a double double in like 
what you could almost effectively call his first start of his career. Like he started the second half because Derrick Rose was out. He played the whole second half. Um, he, he played basically like a starter's workload in this game. And, you know, oh, man, he went crazy. And, and Emmanuel quickly learned how to shoot again and could shoot. And like, oh, my God, that last quarter for Mitchell Robinson was so amazing. And the Knicks won. And, you know, they beat a team they should have beaten. And like soundly, like it wasn't, you know, a, it wasn't fluky. And they didn't let the team you know, be within three points with two minutes to go or anything. And, you know, it, it just kind of seems like in regards to the whole backcourt of the future thing with quickly induced that we could be on borrowed time. I mean, would you be surprised at all if, if Deuce went right back to Westchester the second that this team is, is like somewhat healthy again? Cause I feel like I said the same thing with Grimes, but I hope that Grimes and Deuce have done enough to earn themselves playing time at this point, but I can't be sold until I see it happen because I feel like we've seen this story a few times already with Tibbs where, you know, last year it was a quickly sometimes with Toppin sometimes still to this day with Toppin, you know, in his second year that we, we see these young guys come in and they play with so much fire and they, they accumulate good stats and everything on paper and functionally in the game is amazing that they're doing. And then we're kind of just forced with this harsh reality that like Tibbs kind of has, his lineups and his guys that he's comfortable with. And once those guys become healthier available again, then all that kind of goes out the window. Yeah. I think the concern is, is less so Tibbs being sold on, on Grimes and Deuce, especially because both are for rookies, like good defenders. It's who would he bench to play those guys more minutes? And he's in love with Alec Burks, like right, rightfully so Burks has had a really good season. Um, RJ Barrett is, is too integral to the team's future. Even, even if he's not shooting well, it doesn't turn it around. Evan Fournier, we know is probably the guy we would both bench, but he is making an insane amount of money. Um, and that shouldn't be a, but because like it's, it's like the whole sunk cost fallacy thing, but that would be my concern less so than Tibbs. Like, I think Tibbs genuinely loves Grimes and Deuce, but in his mind, it's like, well, like none of these guys have really done enough to be benched. Like, I think at a certain point, and this is something we could talk about a little bit later, but if the next season goes the direction, both of us think it possibly could where, where this team just pretty clearly isn't a playoff team or, or at best is fighting for the last play in spot. Why not? build your season around playing miles McBride 30 minutes a game, because what, what do you get from playing Alec Burks 32, 33 minutes a night, even if he quote unquote deserves it and is a moderately better player than deuce today, which is probably true, but who knows? Maybe it isn't. Um, it doesn't really do anything for your future and, and the future of this franchise. And if you're not going to be, if you're not gonna have a chance to win a first round series, realistically, why are you planning around marginal improvements for this season? Yeah, and you could even argue marginal detractors for this season. I mean, based off how Fournier's played, and even Burks lately. I mean, he's been quietly locked in a pretty nasty cold spell lately. Even if, you know, I mean, he does a pretty good job of doing some intangibles. He's gotten better, I think, at not having his whole game revolve around his scoring this year. Uh, but to get back to, like, Deuce and Quickly, yeah. I mean, I'll talk about Deuce first. Like, I mean, there was no more emblematic play in the game than his first bucket where he steals the ball on one end, dribbles it down and, you know, kind of pushes the pace first off, which was a consistent theme when he and quickly were out there, they were pushing the pace quite a bit and he gets the ball down the floor, gets to the three point line, kind of hesitates a little bit. His defender sags off him and he's like, okay. And just hits a three pointer right in his face. And it was just kind of like that, that effort was just sort of, there for the whole night like he was just kind of like oh they don't have a scouting report on me well jokes on them because you know i'm gonna torch these guys 
And then once things, you know, once they sort of keyed the defense towards him a little more in the second half, then he adjusted. And between he and quickly, I mean, they were they were finding Mitch uh, in that fourth quarter. That was so integral to the the Knicks doing as well as they did, like quickly and uh, and Deuce in that fourth quarter combined for six assists. And Mitchell Robinson, of course, went six for six from the field uh, for thirteen points in that final frame, where he played a full twelve minutes. I might add too, which I mean, for not to take this to Mitch territory, but like was a great sign for Mitch uh, to be able to play a full 12 minute quarter. So did Deuce and so did quickly though. And so did Alec Burks actually that whole fourth quarter. Uh, It was a really good mix. You know, they just, I think they were feeding really well off each other. The defense was working great because they were playing passing lanes quickly and Deuce, I think made such a huge difference again for Mitch, you know, like I, I feel like lately when he comes in, he's usually coming in for Noel and like Fournier will still be out there. Uh, Randall might still be out there. Uh, Burks is still out there, whatever. And the the perimeter defense just hasn't been super sound. And that's led to Mitch having to make a bunch of really tough decisions on defense. You know, like, do I guard this guy? Do I guard that guy? Who do I rotate to? Whatever. And instead, with quickly and Deuce out there, they were just containing everything on the perimeter by and large. And that made life so much easier for Mitch in that fourth quarter. And then, you know, you saw him get a steal and a block, and he ends up for the entire game with uh, a grand total of three blocks and a steal. And it just, you know, it felt much more like vintage Mitch because he didn't have to overthink the game so much. So, you know, that's that's Mitch stuff, but that comes back to quickly induce, I think, and, and their impact on this game. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on Miles McBride, and I want to talk a little bit about how his pacing uh, was beyond his years and rare for a rookie point guard. But first, let me tell everyone about prize picks one of our newest and one of our best sponsors so you've been hearing me tell you about prize picks for months have you signed up yet prize picks is daily fantasy made easy if you have not checked it out you're missing out i'm telling you you are going to love this app for the nba and mixed sports pickums the christmas day games are going to be off the charts and even more fun if you have prize picks prize picks has the best nba dfs prop game on the market Prize Picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each game. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from points, assists, rebounds, made threes, etc. All of your users that deposit and use your promo code will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Just be sure to use promo code NBA. You pick two to five players and over under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. So go to prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. If you're not playing Prize Picks, you honestly don't know what you are missing. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Alex, if your team didn't draft Miles McBride, you honestly don't know what you're missing because he is an absolute delight. Um, and I think, I think to me, the most impressive part of his game is he doesn't get sped up, right? So many times with younger guards, especially around the basket. And and I think Miles McBride is a good athlete. I don't think he's like an Anthony Edwards level athlete because almost no one is. But unless you're that level of athlete as a rookie especially around the rim, it's easy to kind of go crazy and like try and do like a bunch of double pumps and, and go up too early and, and, and miss an opportunity to draw a foul. But his, his sense of timing is so good. Like even, even on the, the first transition bucket, he got just going right down the middle and saying, all right, no one's going to stop the ball. All right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to speed there. 
but I'll just work my way right to the basket. Did just that. Um, second steal had like, it, it was, a, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous move. Um, he basically, he put on like a little like crossover, um, and then a step through into a, a right-handed layup on the left side. And it was just, it was, it was a bit of craft and a bit of skill around the basket that you didn't, um, even, even going back to summer league, I don't know if he, if he had that much skill around the basket. Um, another one that I really liked, um, was driving on Daniel Tice, little hesitation and kind of froze Tice got all the way to the basket and just hung in the air for a lefty banker. And it's, it's that it's pacing, but it's also having variety around the basket, having different tricks, knowing when to slow up his steps, knowing when to speed up his steps. It's, it's a great combination of factors and and a guy who just, as you noted, repeatedly made the simple play, right? It it wasn't, it wasn't those like a a Jason Williams, like elbow pass that blew your mind. He just made the right read over and over and over again. And for a rookie, that is a fantastic sign of someone I think that is going to have a very long career in the NBA. Um, and with some upside, because we've seen multiple times now where he just has these hanging, like take contact and still finish layups that make me sort of go like, does this guy have like lead guard potential? And I still, I wouldn't go that far down the road with him. I mean, there's a reason he was a second round pick was because he didn't really show that in college, but there, there are flashes that make me sort of question like, all right, maybe there's, there's even more there than someone who looks to be a fantastic role player down the road. Well, and even more so than, you know, for thing. well, first off with his athleticism, because you mentioned like he doesn't have the fantastic stuff. I will say his one attempt in this game, he attempted. Oh, the like, putback dunk? Yes, like one yeah. of the ballsiest putback dunks I've seen from a Knicks guard in a while. And, you know, th- there's just something about the Knicks guards where they just don't live above the rim, really. Like, and they haven't had a guy like that since. Nate Robinson, maybe? J.R. Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can maybe say it was the last one, you know? And maybe that's the reason why he lives in so much. Uh, you know, has has so many great memories with Knicks fans is that he was one of the last guys that would go out there and dunk on your head. Um, but like, I, yeah, he went for that one, and that would have been crazy if he had made that. Uh, but I, I, you know, I don't fault him for the attempt at all either because it was, I mean, it was it was really cool. Uh, but the the part that I think in this game that showed his like lead guard potential the most, which again, you know, it's a long shot. This is a one game sample. You know, we need to, and you know, if you count the Warriors game too. Two game sample of pretty good play from him uh, over these two games. You got to see a lot more than this, and you got to see once teams start having tape on him and they can start game planning for him more how he he reacts on the court. But the passing in this game was fantastic. I thought. I mean, I just watched a, a few of them back, you know, uh, as you were talking there, just to remind myself. And there was like there was this frozen rope that he threw to Evan Fournier in the corner much as I was maligning how Evan Fournier was playing in the the third quarter, Deuce drives into the lane and just kind of does one of those passes that just like moves slowly through time until it gets to the person it's supposed to go to, but also quickly somehow and just kind of like wings it around the defender and just find its way right into Fournier's shooting pocket, bang, corner three. Uh, There was another just gorgeous pass as quickly as driving um, from the, the, corner three on the left side was kind of driving in and just laces this pass to Mitch right on the inside for an and one totally gorgeous stuff Threw a nice lob or two to Mitch as well uh, during that, that key fourth quarter where everything went together. I just think, you know, I'm not going to try to get too excited because we've done this a number of times before with various players that have played point guard for the Knicks over the years, either on this show or otherwise, you know, there's this, this practice long predates you and I, 
yeah, taking over the show. We, we've been doing this in our personal lives for a while. For a long time. You know, we're career point guard overreactors because every Knicks fan is. But, you know, I think that those are the things that most – like we sort of – I sort of knew about based off reading scouting reports and talking to guys like Prez and whatever and, and Stacey Patton and, you know, all them that, you know, this kid has pull-up shooting ability – he could do that sort of stuff. The getting to the rim was definitely better than advertised tonight, which was a big difference maker. But for me, it was mostly the playmaking. Like I thought of him as mostly a scoring guard. And to see him be able to make plays like that and sort of run an offense, I mean, I, you know, I know that we've been saying that maybe quickly should be starting, but if Tibbs tomorrow decided, okay, let's just start starting Deuce to like let Rose get back into his into his bench role again. Apparently Rose has like a trick ankle. Which is what kept him out of this, you know, second half of this game. He just said his ankle flared up some. That's just sort of a day to day thing. They're trying to manage it. Okay, well there you go. Here's how you manage it. Just start Deuce and see how he does. And maybe that point of attack defense and this pull up shooting, this spot up shooting, the um, you know, apparently getting to the rim and the being able to pass to his teammates helps generate some offense for even again the most maligned guys on the team, like the Evan Fournier's of the world. Uh, and, and sort of ignites this team a bit in in sort of that classic uh, flash in the pan Knicks point guard fashion that we've seen over the years, but hopefully not as a flash in the pan and as more of a a you know fixture going forward. Yeah, and and let's let's talk Emmanuel quickly a little bit too, right? Because over this last eight or nine game stretch, I've mentioned a couple of times, but he's been somewhere around twenty percent from three, which is is not great for a guy who is. Uh, eventually you want to top out as one of the best three point shooters in the NBA, but got off to a fantastic start, like coming around a Randall screen, 25 foot three. And that pretty much set the tone. And you could tell, like, again, with quickly, it's all, it's all about his swagger. It's like, when does he have that confidence back? Like, I think you see it sometimes when he starts bouncing, when, when the shot is in the air and he, he kind of knows it's going to go in or when he gets into a rhythm and he, he almost like fades away on the shot, even though it's completely unnecessary, um, and, and he got to that point in this game and it, it absolutely like, it makes the Knicks a different team. Like it is, it's, it's for, instead of like games and games of this is it's quarters every now and then, but when he's hitting five threes in the fourth, like you get the Steph Curry effect where everyone's like, Oh, it's over. He's, he's, he's burying another team alive. And that is what we got tonight from Emmanuel quickly. And I thought the rest of his game was also very solid. And, and I've, I've been saying that for a while, but the process continues to be good for him. And on a night where he was shooting well from three, like I'm glad that continued. Like he, he just had a number of really good passes. Like he, he had two back to back in the third quarter to Randall that I loved um, where he, you can tell this is sort of similar to what I was saying about McBride, but it just, it's point guard skills and it, it's manipulation. And it's what we saw from him in summer league where he takes an extra dribble just to make sure the defender that's trailing him and is trying to get back to cover Rand on the perimeter can't quite leave him. Once he knows that defender's locked in, that's when he throws the pass. He's gotten so good at those hook passes over his shoulder when he gets into the middle of the lane, uh, throwing them out and, and hitting whoever's out there on the perimeter. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if I have anything more specific to say than that about quickly, but it was just good to see him comfortable again. It was good to see him shooting well again. And uh, hopefully a sign of, of things to come because the Knicks, I mean, they're, they're just a different team when he's hitting threes like that. Yeah, it's kind of fun too seeing the contrast between quickly and Deuce too because quickly gets so animated, like you said, with the bouncing and the, you know, just like the, the unnecessary swag that he pulls out when he's playing super well. And Deuce is just like the stone faced, like all business guy. Like I really didn't see him get super hype at all during this game. Like he maybe had one or two times where you kind of like run over to, 
to slap hands with a guy real quick or whatever. But he was by and large, even after the game too, you know, just like cool as a cucumber. Like (laughs) there's a really funny moment where Breen like asked him officially if he wants to be called Deuce or Miles. And he's like, I guess just call me Deuce. I don't know. Um, But uh, so like, you know, to see their, their styles playing off each other was so cool. I also, you know, I, I total agreement with everything you said about his offense and everything. I will just say, like, I think that part of the reason that quickly and Deuce's defense works so well together is that, like, quickly doesn't really play the the event generating type of defense. You know, like he's not out there really generating a ton of steals generally. Whereas Deuce is like, you know, we saw four steals in this game, very active in the passing lanes. Um, you know, very much trying to generate those those big plays. Whereas quickly just kind of like stays in front of his guy, you know, just plays solid defense. Also does a pretty good job of like funneling guys where they need to go. And, you know, that sort of sets up situations for those like steel artist type of players like McBride. If you could just keep a guy right where you want him and have him having to dribble the ball a little way away from his body, then all of a sudden you open up that ability to just kind of slap the ball away start a fast break opportunity or what have you. So I thought that, uh, I thought that, you know, their defense worked really well together in that respect. Uh, we can talk some more about some stuff, including why the, why for like the umpteenth time, the bench seemed to provide the spark that the starters couldn't in this game. But I do just want to let everybody know real quick that today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one step. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. I mean, I love Truebill. I, I'm, a, I'm a big you know, video streaming services guy and, and I get a little FOMO sometimes and I just get one. And you know, I'll get it for that special one month rate. And then just forget all about it. And Truebill has definitely helped me get those out of my life and uh, put a little money back in my bank account every single month. And Truebill has over 2 million users and they have helped them save over $100 million in total. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. All right. Uh, Gavin, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to just throw it to you. What do, what do you want to talk about uh, with this this game? I think we've done quickly induced justice, maybe even Mitch to a degree. Maybe it's time to start talking about some of these other guys. Yeah, I was, I was just going to go kind of big picture. I mean, to your point, the starters – Versus the bench, I mean, pretty mystifying in a game that the Knicks won by 13 points that only one starter had a positive plus minus is Alec Burks, who got a significant portion of his 37 minutes with the bench unit since it was just a nine man rotation. Uh, Julius Randle, a minus nine. Nerlens Noel, a minus eight in only 18 minutes. Alec Burke, oh, sorry, I already mentioned Burks. Rose, a minus six in 12 minutes. Evan Fournier, a minus six in 28 minutes. Um, and it, 
you you watch the game and that isn't a surprise to anyone, right? Because the, the bench essentially played the entire fourth quarter, dominated down the stretch, won this game after the starters blew. Uh, what was a 17 point lead? And I want to give them some credit because they came out really, really well, right? Evan Fournier had nine points and three assists in the first eight or so minutes of this game. And I, I thought, I mean, I, I, I see where, where you would critique him later on. I thought he was fantastic, right? Um, I mean, so, so good coming around. Like, and this is the frustrating part about Fournier this year is that there's so many times where the effort just isn't there or the shots just aren't going down. But when it looks good, it looks so good because he is just a... I mean, he's just a really skilled player. I don't know how else to say it. Like his footwork is so fantastic coming around screens, his ability to set his feet and separate from a defender, um, his mid range game, like the first shot he hit was just really good patience. He let a defender fly by and he's, he's such good touch on those like little, like mid range turnarounds. Um, they've been running some good plays for him. And I like this from Tibbs. I mean, obviously I prefer if he was doing it off the bench, but I, I like that Tibbs is running these little sets to get him going. So he had a curl around Mitchell Robinson caught the ball on the run. And then just a righty little slip pass to Mitch for a dunk. Um, as, as often as possible as Tibbs can have stuff like that. I, I think it's really good getting Fournier on the move because when he's stagnant, defenders seem to be able to keep up with him pretty well. Um, so it was a great start for Fournier, uh, offensively, defensively, Randall was a disaster to start this game as best as I could tell, like two times in a row, he just spaced out and gave Garrison Matthews wide open threes or one time was Garrison Matthews. One time it was Armani Brooks. Um, but offensively, Randall was really, really good to start this game. And we all sort of know what happened like late in the second quarter when the Knicks blew this lead, right? It was, it was ISO ball galore. It was Randall, I think had three or four straight possessions to end the half where he didn't really. I, I don't even put it like I, I, was, I was about to go into a Randall criticism, but it's not even fair because no one else was moving. No one else was doing anything. And to me, that was where you you really missed Derrick Rose. And there was just a lack of there was a lack of penetration. There was a lack of zip, like the, the couple of good possessions were IQ and Randall running two man games. But outside of that, it was just about as stagnant as you can get offensively. It made the Rockets look like the late 80s Pistons on defense. Um, there was, there was just, there was no life and it was sort of symptomatic of, or, or a microcosm of what we've seen all season from the starting lineup where they, they lose that juice. And if guys like Fournier aren't having like out of body shooting performances relative to what they've done all season, there's just, there's nothing to rest their laurels on it. it, it it's, they become reliant on Randall trying to bully his way through four defenders all geared up against him. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's sort of like where, this game wasn't all great to me. You know what I mean? And this is like, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording when we were like planning out the show. And I was like, you know, I kind of, despite normally being like the homer out of the two of us, I sort of am approaching this game with a little bit of doom and gloom, not just for the, the like fleeting, you know, awesomeness of having, uh, you know, all the, at least all the available kids playing and playing well together but just also this like this unescapable thing that was like the Knicks came out and they started smoking a bad team and then did the same thing that they always do, which was let them back into it multiple times and almost blew this game. And, you know, you just it it gets really old after a while. You know, you have Jay Sean Tate going for 20 points on six of eight shooting Daniel Tice looking like a freaking all star. Like he had 22, 10 and two blocks and a steal in this game and shot eight to 12 from the floor, two or four from three. I mean, you know, that was by mostly by Nerlens Noel playing like total garbage again. And Mitchell Robinson, honestly, for like 
maybe you don't call it a full three quarters, but let's say like two and three quarters quarters <laughs> uh, played like crap. I mean, Mitch was just terrible. You know, he was, he looked like he forgot how to play the game of basketball for most of this game. And you could see him like chirping and acting like he had, you know, something to chirp about until the very end when then finally he turned it on and just went like Mitch super Saiyan and, you know, started dunking on guys and, you know, boxing out hard, getting putbacks and all this other stuff that leads to him being successful. But you know, that's sort of just like a microcosm of how the whole team acts a lot of times where it's just like they do enough to get a good lead or something and then they think their work is done for the night. And then it's it's almost like it's almost like in football if, you know, a team comes out and they smoke a team through the first three, you know, granted it's a little more micro in, in basketball where this is like the Knicks go on like a good run and then think their work is done. But it's like if you have a team in football that comes out and midway through the third quarter – or early in the third quarter, they they're up twenty one after having a great high flying you know first half, and then the coach decides, okay, we're just going to run the ball every play and try to run clock, and then lo and behold, the other team goes, oh well, we'll just take advantage of that and take a few extra possessions here and there, and you know since you guys are not going to be imaginative at all on offense, we're just going to go ahead and score and make this a game again, and then it becomes a game, and then a lot of times that team that you know, is trying to guard the lead, ends up completely losing all momentum and just losing the game. And I feel like that's what the Knicks do a lot. But basketball, especially more so than football or any other sport, is not so much a protect-the-lead sport. You know, like, you just got to go out there and just play your game 100% of the time and not falter. And and that's so often what the Knicks don't do. You know, you, you talk about they, they set up these situations where Evan Fournier, you know, runs a few good plays get some good looks, make some shots. They do this with RJ Barrett sometimes when he's healthy, you know, uh, which hopefully he's, he's doing well with his recovery from COVID and all that. But like, you know, they run plays for him. They'll run plays for Rose or for Mitch or for, you know, anyone that you could think of. They'll, they'll run a few plays. They'll get a good thing going. And then all of a sudden it's like, if they've run those few plays a few times, it's almost like Tibbs just sort of like runs out of ideas. He doesn't often like spam the same play a bunch of times which works in the NBA sometimes. Sometimes another team just doesn't have your numbers, so just keep running the same play until it stops working and then find something new to do. Or, you know, run a variation of that same play until they find a way to stop you. Certainly, we know that happens to the Knicks all the time with basic, you know, sets that other teams just abuse them with and backdoor cuts and things of that nature. But, you know, do some stuff like that. It's just, it gets so frustrating to watch this team so often flash the talent that they have and show you that they could be more than what they've been. And then against one of the worst teams in the league, you know, you, you reminded me they did just win seven games uh, in a row somewhat recently, the Rockets did, but still bad. Definitely one of the worst teams in the league. Like the Knicks, if they were even 80% as good as we thought they were going to be coming into the season, should have wiped the floor with this team. And in the end, they did once they finally embraced like a continued offense at the end of the game. But prior to that, it was ugly because they just chose to selectively abandon everything that was working well for them and switch to just ISO ball and uninspired defense. And one tends to lead to the other two. And, you know, it's it's just it's just like vicious cycle that the Knicks constantly find themselves in. Yeah. And look, I, I don't claim to be an expert on, on NBA offense. Like the, the, there are nuances to it that I, I like I feel like I can't 
objectively always assess Tibbs as a coach in terms of his play calling and how creative he gets. But I think a good indicator that there's an issue there is, is the after timeout situations, right? And he took one with about 40 seconds left in the second quarter. And it seemed like an opportunity to say, Hey, we've had three straight Julius Randall isolations. We got to vary it up. Let me, let me call a set to get, I don't know, Mitch going to the rim on a backdoor lob or Evan coming around a screen where he could either pass or shoot. Um, and instead somehow that possession, I don't know, like, it's impossible to know, is this on Tibbs or did the players just not execute what he wanted to do or did they not listen to him at all? But it literally ended with like Randall holding the ball and, and committing a, a shot clock violation. And it was moments like that where you sort of say, all right, what what's the plan here? Why can't you get a good shot in that situation? And it comes down to, or seemingly it comes down to play calling. And, and that's where you start to question the offense as a whole and a lack of creativity. And to your point, like to some extent, like you're only as good as the talent that you have. And the Knicks like are 15th or at least going into this game are 15th in the league in NBA in offensive rating, which isn't like that is about the talent that they have. So I, I can't tell if there's a massive issue yet, but clearly with the starters, there is something that just doesn't work. That doesn't click. I mean, you and I were talking about like whether there's chemistry issues that we don't fully know about with, with Randall and Fournier. I'll let you get more into that in a second if you want to. Um, but there's, there's something there that is just off. Maybe it's the fact that they've switched up the starters a number of times now, this time out of necessity, but it, it's just not working. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, I will, I'll push back a little bit because I thought he had some really good moments in the first three quarters. He, he started off really bad. Like Daniel Tice was eating his lunch and it continued a theme of European centers just absolutely bullying Mitch for some reason. Um, I, don't, I don't know if he like said something before the season about like the old like Soviet Union, but these guys are absolutely uh, wrecking him. Um, but then he got some revenge because he, uh, Alperin Sengun, who's, who's one of my favorite rookies in the NBA, uh, Mitch just just dominated that match of this entire night. He blocked a Sengun three. It's at the end of the shot clock, so it didn't have the same verve as like a classic Mitch block three, but it just it's nice to see him do that every once in a while because it used to happen once a game, and now it's like once every 10 games. Um, had another monster block on DJ Augustine, who I'm shocked is still in the NBA. He looks like beyond washed. Um, another, maybe my favorite play from him was Sengun tried to post him up, and Mitch just totally shut him down to the point that Sengun had to like just throw it out and throw a jump pass that IQ ended up picking off. And then the fourth quarter was obviously pretty amazing, right? 13 points, five boards in the fourth. Uh, that would have translated over a full game to 52 and 20. Um, you could also say Emmanuel quickly shooting in the fourth would have translated to 23. So maybe that's not the best way to measure a basketball performance. But I, I thought he was he was pretty much the, the Mitch of old in the fourth quarter. And, and you made the point um, defensively that it helped him so much playing with the young guards. I think it helped him a lot on offense as well. And and someone, it might've been Macri, someone made this point that he'd be better off getting more time with someone like Derrick Rose. And maybe that was Tibbs' thinking initially and putting him off the bench. But he is at his best when you have a guard who can get all the way to the rim and set him up for lobs or clear out a defender for him to get an easy putback. What he's currently doing on offense or what he was doing with the starters the entire year was playing in like the height of claustrophobia where there were there were never lobs, there were there were never clean putback attempts, and he still doesn't have any discernible offensive game on his own. So in that environment, he was never going to do well. So I, I think him playing with those young guys is an absolutely fantastic decision by Tibbs. And tonight it really paid dividends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it, it, we could save it for another day, like how his performance leading up to the fourth quarter. I thought there were flashes for sure. The problem is, is I, like with Mitch as a fourth year player, I'm just kind of getting tired of flashes at this point. You know, I, I kind of just need to see things consistently. And like, I've been a pretty big Mitch defender for a while, but like, as the worm's been turning on him, I've been like, you know, I've been trying to resist and I'm like, no, like, you know, I still see that great player in him and I'm, I'm trying to give him time to get back in shape and all this other stuff. And now we're, I mean, we're pushing towards 30 games into the season 
I feel like he should basically be in shape at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I feel like that excuse is losing credence by the day. And so then it just starts making you wonder like, all right, all these slow decisions and, and slow things he's doing before he was saying his body can keep up with his brain. Now, is it just that his brain isn't keeping up period? I, I, I don't know. I guess we'll see um, as far as all that goes, but I will just briefly before we end off here and I'll just throw it to you for any final points, but I will note, Yeah. I do kind of feel like there is something going on with Randall and Fournier at this point. I, this is completely unsubstantiated. There's no reporting coming out that they're like at each other's throats or anything, but just based off things we've seen being picked up on MSG cameras lately, there was, you know, a couple weeks ago, there was, they got caught sort of going at it, uh, not like going at like in each other's face or anything, but they were clearly having like a pretty heated verbal exchange going into the locker room before halftime of one game. Um, there was the instance of, uh, this game, there was like Fournier just kind of left Randall out to dry on defense. He let his man get completely by him, and Randall had to then pick up Fournier's man, but a little too late into the process, and eventually, you know, had a foul called on him as a result. And you could see this like as they had it up on Randall, you know, the the camera up on Randall, and you could see him looking out towards where Fournier probably was. Uh, you know, out, not on the block waiting for a rebound and just kind of like talking and then just this like look of like, like practically rolling his eyes, like head cocked, like, you know, like how did you not do that the way that you're supposed to be doing it? And I think it's creating a little bit like you can even see it in the way that they play with each other on offense. It all feels very robotic and predictable and they're only doing one or two things like, you know, quick little screens for one another and that's pretty much the extent of it. You know, it's like Randall will set a quick screen for Fournier who kicks it to back to Randall or whatever. And then, you know, Randall, if that doesn't work and his defender tags him too well, then, you know, Fournier will try to set a little screen for him. And that's basically it. That's like all they can pull off anymore. And, you know, we were seeing them do more complex things in like the first game of preseason practically. Um, so it just kind of feels like their relationship on the court is deteriorating some. To me, it, it seems to be getting worse, not better, unfortunately, which it just kind of leads me to think there might be some strife there. I think there are a myriad reasons uh, to move Evan Fournier to the bench, and that is that is just another one. But on that happy note, uh, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I, I always forget to say this, so I'll say it now. Please go on uh, iTunes and drop us a five-star rating because uh, no one's left us a review in a while. So I want to I know how we're doing. Uh, you can critique us. You can say anything you want. Just, just give us five stars. All right, we really appreciate you all tuning in. Also remember to subscribe on YouTube, and that is it for this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast we will be back soon with another game recap and maybe some special guests coming your way next week so all that and more to look forward to on locked on nicks